Well, good morning from extreme southern New Hampshire. It's PFG Live for Sunday, approximately the 20th of August. Welcome aboard. DBX in Rockland County, New York reports sunny and 81 degrees, relative humidity 42%, the only correct relative humidity, and a lovely day. Uh, we're picking guys up off of both uh, YouTube chat and Discord. So, uh, Tom, oh, look at Tom. Tom does a screenshot. Raleigh, North Carolina, 92 and 48% relative humidity. CJ Stevens checks in from the extreme eastern E of Tennessee. A beautiful day, 90 degrees and sunny. Good morning, Joel. Welcome aboard. Luda Smith. Thank you for your chat test earlier. Who else did we miss? Uh, almost in the Phoenix, like 90 degrees Fahrenheit, 50% humidity. That's pretty good. That's actually a decent balance, but you want and need rain. Uh, Butterfe Butterfield Bates, welcome back, sir. Sunny and 75 in the Thousand Islands of New York. Did you count them? I would like to know if they've been counted and accounted for. And Warren Jones reports, and I quote now, the same weather as here. <laughs> I'm not quoting, actually. He says, I report same weather as you, more or less. You're a little norther. So Butterfield Bates says, there's more than a thousand. We round off. <laughs> Excellent. Because around here, we would be counting them, measuring them, and documenting them as you are no doubt aware. Well, uh, here in the Windham of New Hampshire, it's 79 Fahrenheit, which is actually quite nice, 51% relative humidity. We're very close to a standard here. I was sitting outside on the back deck just chilling, and uh, uh, the frogs were doing the same thing next to me. So we were all just sitting there snoozing. It was uh, pretty cool. So uh, let's see. We have uh, a few things to talk about. Oh, Greenwood has checked in. Greenwood AG at uh, 65 degrees and raining in southern Idaho. Those potatoes need a lot of water. Uh, welcome, sir. Welcome back. So uh, good things happening this week. I had some good shop time. Um I did some grinding. We got a, a nice, lovely batch of four-inch rectangular stones ground up into inventory. And I think one of them went out the door already. Another one's going out the door first thing in the morning. So if you're the one who placed the order, it's going out first thing in the morning. So that got done. But the big thing this, this week was not super exciting. And if you've been following on Instagram, you saw I was babysitting the cnc machine the, the uh, sharp mill and we've been making the balancing rings the b200 balancing rings uh and cranking them out and i have to say that that process has been dialed it's been spectacular i had one event over the last few weeks uh where i broke a tool and that's because my operator failed to correctly clamp up a part in op three and that caused uh, 
a tool breakage. So we fixed that. Actually, uh, two tools broke. You know how it is. CNC is very efficient. <laughs> so so you don't just break one tool, baby. Uh, so we broke, broke two tools. That was a couple of weeks ago. Fixed it, but also improved the process. So I think that's pretty important. We improved the process and ensured that it wasn't going to happen again. So that that was a good thing. Um, and then we kept on cranking. So I, I've been learning quite a bit in practice from this, um, you know, production process. And you may recall at the beginning of of this this year's batch of balancing rings, I, t I make this is one of the things I make in batches. This is not there's no just in time manufacturing on the balancing rings because I have a bit a bunch of setup to do on the CNC machine and I want to get I want to run the batch you know for the year or whatever and then be done with it. So I made a whole video on on designing and building the grippers to hold the hockey pucks in the Kurt Vice. See my YouTube channel for uh, Get a Grip. And uh, I ha actually have them here right now. Uh, and they came out beautifully. But the acid test, of course, <laughs> there it is. If you, those of you playing at home and watching on video, uh, they really did come out nice. Uh, but the acid test is running them. So these go, these work with the uh, Mighty Bite Versa Grip jaws. And Mighty Bite sells, you know, will ha sell you their jaws. Uh, I think I have one kicking around. As you can see, that has been kissed by, uh, kissed by an end mill. <laughs> I think that was a, wasn't that a show in the, uh, in the 80s? Kissed by an end mill. Um, anyway, but I had to, I had to raise my work up a little bit because of the process. So we designed these grippers. So I've now run, you know, over a hundred, uh, cycles with the, using these grippers. And it wasn't just the grippers because the grippers, these grippers were a two tools are a two tool steel Rockwell 55, um, ground, they're gorgeous and they're very sharp. So when they when when your part lands on the table of the gripper, this little tooth of the gripper digs in uh, pretty nicely. Also on this run, we added a torque wrench. So I put a link uh, for this. This is of course off Amazon. <laughs> I put a link for this in in the links page this is a tecton uh torque wrench and i have this set to 100 inch pounds so the combination of 100 inch pounds which by the way is not a lot when you go to tighten this thing the your first inclination is oh i could put a lot more on this kurt vice handle <laughs> there's a reason not to but because you've got these four little knife edges digging into your part Think about pounds per square inch. So 100 foot inches, uh, I'm sorry, 100, <laughs> 100 inch pounds um, of torque to the click. These wonderful grippers, and I ran that whole production run, and when you look at the grippers, you cannot tell they were ever used. Hey, Machine New Zealand is here. Welcome aboard, sir. I hope your, um, 
Jo is it a Jones and Shipman uh, grinder? 540, I believe, is uh, going well. Our friend down in New Zealand just got uh, a new surface grinder, and it sounds like it's going to be awesome. I saw pictures of it coming off of the uh, the trailer. Jones and Shipman, awesome. Yeah, that'll be really neat. So, um, anyway, the grippers were awesome. They they went the whole. I, I think we made about a hundred hockey pucks, turned them into um, balancing rings. And they, you can't tell they were ever used. So that went very well. I'm very happy with that. I, so my grippers are now a thing. If you go to the Mighty Bite site, you can buy the Versa Grip system and you could buy their jaws. It's all good. But um, I like my grippers better. So, so there you go. Uh, also, uh, according to my notes here, they came in at, I think they were Rockwell 55 on on their grippers, and I think mine are either 55 or 60. I don't quite remember. So Machine NZ is reporting he's stripping the grinder to check things over. So uh, if you're following on Instagram, Machine NZ found some nice flaking on his ways on this new Jones and shipment, which indicates it was not terribly abused. Butterfield Bates asks, are those grippers available in the form of a product or a print? <laughs> now how much would you pay? Um, no, I don't have... I, I suppose I could put a print up. They're super simple. Um, and they have not been productized. And and mostly because uh, my situation that I... The reason I made these grippers was to to again raise the part off of the top of the of the jaw in the mighty bite versa grip system your part sits on the jaw and then the grippers come in and grip it but the i needed them to clear the jaw because when i go around on the balancing ring and i drill the holes on the periphery um i i couldn't clear the jaw so when I in, in batch, this, by the way, this is batch number three of the B two hundred balancing rings. When I did batch number one, I actually made them out of a three inch. I think it was three inch or two and a half inch uh, diameter pucks. In other words, I wasted a lot of material so that I would have clearance to drill the holes. So when it came time for batch number two. I decided I wanted to use smaller material, make fewer chips, and we were, right, if you were listening to the business of machining with John and John, occasionally talking about Spencer and Spencer, a uh, little inside joke there, um, they were just talking about ordering stock so that the uh, amount of material you have to remove is much smaller so your chip management is much easier. So that's sort of what I did between batch one and batch two, and I invented the gripper to be a to, to raise the part off the jaw, and of course grip the part. Butterfield Bates says I run into s similar clearance issues drilling through. Exactly, I run those jaws daily, and I like those grips. I have to make some. So if this is 
you guys have to, this is how all of the products that I make came about. If this is an actual product where we're, we need to make this, let me know and we'll, we'll start making it. But I'm, I'm happy to share the print. It's, it's ultra simple. Um, the, so the first, so, so the first set of grippers that I made were made poorly. <laughs> I made them out of a two, but my, my heat treating foo was uh, not there yet. So I cracked some of them and then I realized I got to use less, less torque. I don't think I started using a torque wrench, but I just started going a little gentle on them. And I found out that I was, I was, um, I was peening the edges over. So I made it through batch number two and made successful product but I wasn't happy with the grippers. So now we come along, this was, this was batch number three. I redesigned the grippers mostly, well, actually they're, they're redesigned all around uh, dimensionally and uh, metallurgically, but I, I made these at A2. But now my, my uh, metallurgy, uh, my heat treating is dialed. So it, they came out fantastically well. These even got a cryo treatment because <laughs> I I do cryo treatments now. That's what we do. Uh, and and they came out just spectacularly. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, so, but the magic the magic information here buried I buried the lead is a hundred inch pounds on four gripper, you know, two and two, and that was all you needed, and it worked great. So uh, Butterfield Bates. Uh, stay on my case about this. I will try to get you that information or I'll put the print up on on uh, the links page or something, but but definitely stay on my case. So uh, yeah, they came out great. So the, the rest of the time that, um, hang on, I'm gonna tell my watch to start giving, stop giving me alerts here, even though it's my wife. Don't tell her I said anything. Um, the other thing uh, was finish the rings, yes, but now they have to get packaged. So we've gone through a couple of different variations on the packaging, but this is what the this is what the final packaging looks like. If you're if you're only listening to the podcast, I will I will describe this. It's in a heat sealed uh, bag overall. It contains two stickers, a Kinetic Precision logo sticker. And the round put a ring on it sticker featuring our shortcut to the web page, which is rin.gg. Get it? Put a ring on it. Get it? And it also has the product information in, uh, code with the rin.gg plus a, plus a QR code. The, the ring itself is in a little bag. And the set screws that come with it are in a little bag and those are both in the big bag. So that's what the packaging looks like. Well, it turns out that somebody has to put that all together. Guess who that was? So we've got about 20 left to get to final packaging and, uh, and that will be done, done and in stock. Um, okay. So I'll answer DBX in a second. How uh, Greenwood says, how deep does the gripper go into the part with 100 inch pounds? Uh, I can only give you an estimate. 
Um, I didn't measure it. I would say five to ten thousandths of an inch. Um, it would be interesting to do the math. And, you know, we know what the lead screw is. Uh, so we could translate that torque to pressure. And, and But I'll tell you, the, the square inches of contact area aren't very big. Uh, so the answer is, that was a very, very delicate way to say i have no idea but i think but when you look at it it's it's going to be between five and ten thousandths and that i didn't see any evidence of of anything moving through through my whole process dbx asks does any of this level of balancing make sense for a six inch bench grinder he goes on to say, parenthetically, I know that's a loaded question because I'm not talking about a specific use case. So if anybody's bought a bench grinder, in particular a cheap bench grinder, and thrown the wheels that come with it onto the bench grinder, notably cheap wheels, um, you also would have noticed hardware and washers and phones bouncing off your bench as the vibrations propagate through your bench. Uh, Six-inch bench grinders are notorious for being crappy. Um, so the, the answer is uh, uh, no. Here, here's the problem. In a surface grinder, be it an Okamoto, a Jones & Shipman, a Harrig, uh, a, a Brown & Sharp, Okay, they all kind of use the same spindle, and it is a, a spindle taper and a nut. And then we go out and we get uh, hubs or adapters. Everybody has a different name for it. Uh, either one is fine. And we 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 clamp those onto a wheel. Now we have an assembly which we balance, and that's great. Because every time you put the thing on the spindle, it's going to go into exactly the same place. <laughs> this is pregnant pause to allow Robin to stare at his uh, at his computer and say, "No, they don't." I know. So, in a bench grinder, generally you just have a couple of flanges. You put the wheel on it, and the wheel has a smaller diameter hole. And usually, on my bench grinders. It comes with plastic bushings, and you put you find the plastic bushings which adapt your bench grinder wheel to the to the uh, the axle, and then you put your flanges on it and you tighten it up. So you can't separately balance the wheel and have it be put onto its axis of rotation in any repeatable way. Therefore, for that reason, Your Honor. I don't believe it's applicable to a bench grinder. This process isn't. Do bench grinders need to be balanced? I'd like them to be balanced. I think that it's nicer to use if they're not vibrating everything around them. But I think it's overkill. There, I said it. I think it's overkill. So, no, I wouldn't go chasing that. And, and I have had, I have had uh, folks come to me specifically because they want to balance their their bench grinder and i don't have a good way to to teach how to do that right i don't have a process for that 
you know, you could do that. You make a change. You look at the vibration. You make another change. Did it get better or worse? But you're kind of going to do trial and error through that whole process. And I don't, I don't think that's going to be very soul satisfying. So that was a long answer to a short yet strangely loaded question. Um, so I have another hour and a half or hour or two hours of work to, to like completely button up all the production. I could then strip the machine and, and call it a, a mission accomplished. However, the next step is making a video. So I've been, I've, I've got the balancing video kind of in my head. I know what I want to do. It's actually going to take a lot of work. So that's the next step. Get the balancing video done to teach all of this. So now we have a balancing stand. That was why I had to get the balancing stand done. And I'll talk about the balancing stand in a minute. Things are going great. And the balancing rings. And now we need a balancing video that is comprehensive. So that is coming. Uh, let's see. Logic dictates we talk about the balancing stand. So also on the Instagram, I've been showing uh, pictures of, of the balancing stand and the process. Now this, by the way, this is not the, the final version of the balancing stand because it doesn't have uh, the, the bumps that capture the, the uh, arbor instead of letting it fly all over the place. But it's for the purposes of our discussion, we could use it to talk about it. They're getting serialized. So there's a serial number on the bottom. Okay. And when, when, you, when you get it, you also get a data sheet that has the serial number on it and some measurements. So what we've done is we've measured the twist in the two rails. So the two rails are parallel there and, and we want them parallel. And if they're not parallel, it has an impact on your sensitivity in balancing. It doesn't impart an error, but there's a sensitivity reduction. So we want them parallel. So we measure the top of the four, um, four points of the rails, Northwest, Southwest, Northeast, Southeast. We do a little bit of math and we come up with a number, which is the twist. That's going really well. In fact, I, I did a post on Instagram and I, I measured one and I had the data sheet and it just happened to be zeros. <laughs> it was, it was perfect twist. The next thing, and this is the most important thing is we take the, the, uh, collet, the Arbor, uh, taper collet, calling this the taper collet. And we put that on the Arbor and we st stick it into our fixture which is a brand new Sopco uh, hub on the surface plate, and we measure the top of, of the arbor, right, right here. Then we, we yank it out, we rotate 90 degrees, we push it back in, and we do it again. And by it, I mean the taper collet. So we do that four times, and we write down the numbers. The reason that's an important number is that is measuring the ability of the taper collet to hold the arbor concentric to uh, to the hub. That's important because otherwise you're going to be you, you're going to be balancing to a point that is not the axis, and this is this is 
important. So we want to keep that number pretty low. So that number generally is going to be under 1.5 thousandths of an inch. That seems to be something we can hold. And I have a bunch of math ahead of me to talk about, and, and this will be in the video, to talk about what that means in terms of, a, of a, an arm, a moment arm. So we want that moment arm to shrink. So we, co we collect that data also, right? So there's the data. And then all of this is uh, signed by the operator. <laughs> it really is. And then we put that information into a spreadsheet here, but then that piece of paper goes into the box when you buy your uh, BS8 and, and you get that information. So you, you, you know that it was measured and you know that it's within specifications. That's been going really well. However, <laughs> um, I started making measurements. Now I have a population of parts, right? So now I can start to gather data and look at trends and see what's going on. And to be honest, I did not like what I was seeing for the concentricity of the first uh, taper arbor, sorry, taper collet that I was that I was making. So I basically pulled the big red handle and I stopped the process and looked at a few alternatives and looked at some changes. Unfortunately, and I'm looking at you, Clint, one of the units went out the door, okay? So Clint is getting a brand new taper collet first thing in the morning because we did solve the problem. So I, I created a slightly modified design, which I will talk about, and measured it. And it came up almost zero, zero. And I was like, okay, now we have something better. So we started making that. Is it perfect? No, it, it has tolerances just like everything else, but it's, it's better than what, what I was going to settle on. And now it's pretty nice. So the, the tolerances on that are, I, I believe, don't quote me on this, it's under a thousandth. Um, like, for example, on this measurement right here, if you're watching the video, it says 0 0.2 minus 0.5 minus 0.5. So the extreme extent would have been 0 0.7 or 7 tenths. And that's acceptable. So we started doing that. So the reason I, I'm laughing is here I am coming out with a new product. I ship the first one out and I realize I should do this better and, and, uh, and call my customer or, or message my customer excitedly and say, stop, don't use that, use this. So this has happened a couple of times, but the funny thing is, when I first made my very first PFG stones and shipped them to my very first paying customer, and that person was Eddie Reese of Saunders Machine Works, uh, I sent him the first set of stones. I was very proud of them. And then I was talking to Robin Renzetti, and Robin says, you ground the sides, right? I'm like, uh, yeah. Robin, I did not, I did not grind the sides. He says, you really should grind the sides. <laughs> I'm like, stop the presses. So I, I, I made a new pair of stones, ground the sides, 
uh, this is the 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 small sides, right? The long small side, and they came out great. And I I messaged with Eddie and I said, Eddie, send those back. I'm sending another set, and I sent him a replacement set. So it's a funny story, but it repeated itself with the uh, with the taper collets, and that's okay. That's you know. It happened with my Volkswagen. Also, I had a Volkswagen Golf GTI, 1987. And uh, I get a call from Volkswagen, and they say, hey, do you hear some kind of like rattling sometimes when you're decelerating? It, it's a manual shift, five-speed. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. They say, yeah, we, we, want, to, we want your car back. Because there's something we have to do to it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So the manager, like this big wig, came out and literally to drive my car away. And it turned out that they had somehow undersized the wrist pins on the pistons. And there was some play in it. And when they discovered it, they were quietly or not so quietly yanking back those vehicles and, and retrofitting them with the proper wrist pins and the proper pistons true story so i guess it's sort of a a, a proud tradition <laughs> you know that first one we shipped out yeah give it back um anyway i did that also recently on the uh on the pfg stones i had a set of six inch stones that went out and we we thought there was a problem with them after they shipped they came back anyway long story short the BS8 parts uh, are coming out great. We did a bunch of them, and they're ready to they're ready to go out the door. So that was my twisted uh, concentricity story. Um, anyhow, uh, I'm going to take a sip of tea. If you guys have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat, either in Discord or on YouTube. If you uh, and if you're in Discord and you have a question, you can also hit the uh, ask to speak button and you can ask a question in audio okay so um we the collective we has been going through the uh, relative humidity sensing challenge and we we kind of landed on a good solution which was buying these 30 dollars sensorian boards and actually getting good relative humidity uh, data from them I proceeded to make a 3D printed case. And there's a few people, by the way. Um, Robert Simpson wanted a case. Carl wanted a full-up sensor. And Joel wanted a full-up sensor. If you guys are hearing the uh, sounds of my voice, do me a favor and DM me your addresses. And we will take care of you. And we'll figure the rest out later. So these things wor worked out great. And then I started thinking, hey, maybe we can, like, take this a little further and get some some even better tools so i was surfing around on the adafruit site if you're not familiar with it adafruit ada fruit um, makes all sorts of widgets little tiny computers microprocessors uh, sensors um, lots of them just lots of them and and they make them in this strange place called Brooklyn, New York. And you might have heard some stories about Brooklyn, New York. I just want you to know <laughs> they're all true. 
So they're on Varick Street in Brooklyn, New York. Now, the first time I noticed Adafruit as a company and I saw that they were on Varick Street, I had to start laughing. When I was about, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old, I got my amateur uh, extra class license. And at the time, the way you got your ham radio license is you had to go down to the FCC and take a test. So you'd have to go down, take a written test, and then you'd have to take a Morse code sending and receiving test. That's since been discontinued, but here I was, uh, whatever year that was, you know, 1840, and I was taking, I had to go down and take my test. So you go, you go to this, uh, you know, government building, and you sit down with a bunch of other people, and when it came time for the sending and receiving test, I sat down uh, across from this young woman, and she gave me a paragraph uh, that I was supposed to send. So we had already taken the receiving part of the test. So the code was sent to everybody in the classroom, and you had to fill out, you know, copy everything you can copy, and then turn it in. And you had to have one solid minute of error-free copy, in my case, at 20 words a minute, in five minutes of of uh, transmitted signal. So we did that, and then you had to go prove you can send Morse code. So I sit down in front of this young woman at this desk, and there's a straight key, and I was handed a paragraph, and here I am. I'm, the, the, the term of art, by the way, is pounding the brass. I don't make this stuff up. And I, I'm, I'm sending this paragraph, and to this day, I am not 100% certain that the person on the other side of the desk actually knew how to, how to copy code. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was all serious, did the thing, passed my test. Why am I telling you this story? Because that was on Varick Street in Brooklyn, New York. And I am not 100% sure, but if I was a betting person, I would bet 20 bucks that Adafruit now owns that building. I will go back into the history books one of these days and find out. But that, you know, seeing they were on Varick Street brought up all sorts of memories. Where was I? Oh, yes, Adafruit. So if you go, if you go there, you can find all sorts of wonderful things. So I got on Discord uh, and I got on, you know, Instagram and I talked to some of my, uh, my friends and I said, hey, I want to get, get started with one of these little computers or little microprocessors what do you recommend and i got steered into getting one of these look at this if you're watching the video i'm holding up an, an adafruit feather okay this is called the esp 32-s3 reverse tft feather so reverse tft means that there's a, a display, a TFT display, which stands for thin film transistor, on the back of the board. So it has this little display. Isn't that cute? It has three buttons and a reset button on the back. So you can panel mount it. And it's got a USB-C connector for power and data. So, But wait, there's more. It also has this connector for I squared C devices that has four wires coming out of it. They made it, they made a standard, right? And they sell 
a little sensor, which is very familiar to us. It's, it's made by Sensorian and it's the SHT series of, of sensors. This is the exact sensor that is in the Sensorian eval board that we've been playing with. So I ordered the 45, not the 40. So this is the higher accuracy sensor and, and it is talking to this little feather that's their name. And I have this little lithium ion battery. Everything you see right here is about, I think we, we looked it up. It's about f uh, 50 bucks. It's about 20 bucks worth of battery, 20, 20 bucks worth of feather, and $13 worth of sensor there, plus a buck for that cable. <laughs> Looks expensive. Yeah, well, there you go. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Again, I think it's $20, $22, $24 for the feather, 12 bucks for the sensor, 12 bucks for the, or 20 bucks, I can't remember, for the battery. And it's running. It's running right now. So this thing came in, and, and I had this thing from the, from the moment I opened the box. So here's the Adafruit box, right? There's their logo. From the moment I opened the box to the time that that little teeny display was spewing temperature and relative humidity information to me was under half an hour. And that included me bumbling around on the website and figuring out how to, how to download software and figuring out libraries and all that kind of stuff. That's pretty cool. And they have libraries for all sorts of sensors. So... We could measure voltage, we could measure pressure, we could measure vibration, we could measure, of course, temperature, we could measure humidity, and, and they have libraries for all of these sensors. That's pretty cool. So for not much more money than you know this, this eval board from Sensorian, we can have a similar thing going. So I... I have other projects where I need the ability to do sensing, such as I want to put some sensors on my generator so I could measure temperature and vibration and voltage, etc. So we will, we will continue uh, doing that. It uh, one of the things we can do, like I have a, a my CNC machine has the the light tower. Uh, what's the programming language? So there's a, there's a few choices, but for me, it's CircuitPython. And CircuitPython is their flavor of Python to run on these things, and they, it's an interpreted language. Uh, I think you could also run C++ on these things. I mean, there's a few choices, but it's really simple to implement. Here's an idea. I've got, uh, by the way, this little board also has Wi-Fi. So why is that important? Because let's say we make a sensor that watches our light tower. Okay, we have a CNC machine with a light tower, red, yellow, green. And I want, I want to be paged. <laughs> I want a text message when something changes. Well, we could take that board and a few um, photosensitive diodes and gin something up, it hangs on the Wi-Fi, and we're done. Oh, work time. Everybody say goodbye to Machine New Zealand. He's off to work. Take care, buddy. Have an awesome day, and uh, share the knowledge. <laughs>
Um, anyway, I'm pretty excited about it. Looks like it'll it'll help uh, with a bunch of stuff. I will keep I will keep you all posted. But uh, there you go. So that's the latest on uh, on that thing. It it is cute as heck, and is uh, is sitting there making measurements and i can confirm that the measurements that it is making is basically the same as the measurements that the sensorian eval board was making so that was that was also pretty uh pretty good success this week and i'm also going to get some help from somebody who is known as my son and because he actually has more hours uh hacking python code in the last year than i have ever hacked Python code. So he's going to, he's going to be uh, helping me learn. So that's, what's going on there. Uh, pretty excited about a new old skill. And I say new old skill because I actually dabbled with, uh, these microprocessors, which are called PIC processors, P I C and, uh, made some useful things in the past. Um, in ham radio, there's some digital modes now where we use low, you know, super low power. There's one called Whisper, which stands for uh, Weak Signal Propagation Reporter. But in the old days, back in the old days, we had something called uh, Coherent CW or CCW, which was basically very slow Morse code sent in lockstep with the UTC second or the Greenwich Mean Time second, right? Which everybody around the world can get calibrated to. And it was a way to pull weak signals out of, out of, uh, out of the uh, noise. Well, I made a PIC processor-based beacon to send Morse code very slowly according and, and be able to be locked up to one of these things. So... Over the years, my interest in these little microprocessors has has been has always been there, and this stuff just makes it easy. So I would encourage you, if you ever wanted to learn or just you have some ideas, to play around with these things. And Adafruit has just a hundred percent of what you need to make these things happen. All right. So uh, there you go. That was my week in the shop. That was my week. Uh, at my day hacking some Adafruit stuff and uh, we have a, a sunny outlook. So what are you guys doing? That's what I want to know. What are, you, what are you active in right now and uh, what's going on? I know that um, so DBX has been working on a bench grinder and uh I think you have my opinion on that. One of the things on bench grinders, by the way, uh, uh, Dan, is frequently the the stones that come with a bench grinder are junk. Not always, but in my when when I have purchased bench grinders, I have always purchased uh, good Norton stones and generally tossed the ones that came with it. So you could you could end up getting a uh, Home Depot cheap bench grinder and put good stones on it and it it's a definite immediate upgrade cj stevens reports that he sold a benchtop mill today also starting um an engine build 
So what was the what was the mill that you sold? Was it one of those uh, like mill drills? Yes. So uh, maybe in the after show, Dan, you could send me a picture of. Um, oh, you got the slow speed Baldor, did you? That's a very good choice. Let me explain what that means. So when you bought a a Baldor grinder, you could choose the kind of bog standard 3600 RPM motor, or you can get an 1800 RPM motor. Now, an, an 1800 RPM motor is a little nicer. It's a little less aggressive. Um, but in terms of motor design, it takes more copper and, and it makes it a more expensive uh, item. Oh, a small knee mill called a Benchmaster. Excellent. Well, you know, it's like, it's like a sailboat. The two happiest days of a sailboat owner's life are when they buy the sailboat and when they sell the sailboat. And if my friend Dan is listening, my other friend Dan, <laughs> he would agree. Uh, well, excellent. Congratulations on recovering some shop space. Um, so Dan, I, I think you, uh, DBX, I think you made a very good choice in going with the slow speed Baldor. I have a, uh, Baldor tool grinder, which is where you, that has the wheels that you grind on the side and I love it. It's smooth as silk. Excellent. CJ Stevens says that the mill he's selling did its job and help them restore his large index mill. Widgetworks reports just finished grinding 52, 52, one for each week of the year, 300 millimeter by 400 millimeter by 50 millimeter sole plates for a gas compressor turbine install. Oh my gosh, 95 pounds each. Uh, you really need a crane over your grinder. That is a lot of grinding, buddy. <laughs> Tell us which grinder you you were using for that, because that sounds very exciting. Almost Machining says, already planned on epoxy coating your benchtop mill after scraping. Epoxy. But watch John's video this morning. I'm going to weld in some massive angle first to strengthen it. Gotcha. So this is to stabilize a, a benchtop mill. I have found that if you very carefully pour in about 2,600 pounds of Bridgeport, that it stabilizes it. Smith of All Trades says, my paycheck thanks you for your purchase of an ABB product. ABB. A, B, B. Help me. Help me. Oh, A, B, B owns Baldor. <laughs> Listen, it's the least we can do. It was one of the few things, you know, when, when you walk around my shop, there's a few things you can point at. And it's like, I bought that brand new. There's only a handful. One of the handful is a brand new um, diamond wheel tool grinder from Baldor. And it's it's a wonderful... Uh, Wonderful tool. Happy to have it. So, excellent. 
I hope they're keeping the, the quality up, and my understanding is that they are. So uh, DBX is helping uh, Smith of all trades feed his kids. <laughs> I love it. So uh, almost is still scraping. He doesn't want a Bridgeport. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, so, you know, let's all put on our thinking caps and think about the whole balancing of a bench grinder problem because I know I know there's a solution there somewhere. I have some ideas, but nothing concrete. And it sure would take... It sure would take a, you know, decent bench grinder with crappy wheels and turn it into something a little nicer to use. So I think that's something that deserves a little attention. Widgetworks, a Chevalier FSG 1640 ADII running 14 by 1.5 by 5 inch wheel. A 14 inch wheel. Lovely. So 1640 means it's 16 inches by 40 inches. I've taken naps on smaller surfaces. <laughs> hey, that sounds great. Yeah. So that's an interesting question. I, I'm going to give it some thought about the balancing question because um, I think a lot of people, especially think about the woodworkers, right? You got a bunch of woodworkers out there that are sharpening uh, cutting tools and they're using bench grinders. Some of them are using slow grinders. The, the woodworker woodworking guys did, uh, do have some interesting options for slow, what they call slow grinders, which I like, but, um, yeah, those are the guys that I think would want to get a bench grinder to behave a little bit. They don't use a bench grinder. See, now I'm going to get yelled at almost machining has a foot in each camp. They don't use a bench grinder to sharpen a chisel. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend. I wouldn't either, by the way, but that's because I have a surface grinder. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a problem that's worth solving. Excellent. So what other topics do we have to address this week uh, to make the world a better place? I'm... Uh, thank you, uh, Robert Simpson. You, uh, you have earned, <laughs> you have earned your censorian case with your comment, flat stones for final finish. You win. So almost says, but in all reality, why spend more than the cost of a tool to balance a wheel for the tool? Right. <laughs> Correct. Flat Lapper is is joining the the fight here. So um yeah, it's uh it's a it's an interesting question. But I did I have I every now and then I get a, another person that contacts me about that and you know, the customer is always right. Almost. So if you're not uh, following uh, John Grimsmo, you should. He just did a video on their heat treating process for their blades. And it was very interesting. And they're fighting some 
uh, very good fights, and that was worth looking at. Continuous process improvement is very honorable, and I think he's doing a great job at it. So shout out to John Grimsmo, another Kinetic Precision customer. All righty. Well, I'm happily out of uh, out of topics. Um, if anybody has any questions or if you're shouting for help from somebody else in the community, you can do it here. We will uh, we see no impediment for next week's PFG live. I was hoping to have some some surprise good news for you this week and I don't think it came in. So I apologize for that, and I can't say anything until I get a piece of paper in the mail. So we will keep you posted. All righty then. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here, and then I'm going to go downstairs and finish packaging up the last of the B200 balancing rings. And then we will be done with production for probably the next year. And, uh, and get those out the door. If you are on Discord or you want to come over onto Discord, we will have the uh, after party and uh, be available for chatting. Almost Machining, thank you for being here. Stay cool, brother. Take care. Flat Lapper, nice seeing you. Robert Simpson, uh, don't forget, uh, Robert, I need your address. Uh, don't send it here. Send it in a... In a uh, direct message uh let's see who else is here widget works thanks for painting the verbal picture of a huge grinder doing a lot of work <laughs> who else is here cj stevens uh good job this week machine nz i know you're gone but i hope you have an awesome day at work over on the discord we've got um smith of all trades dbx warren jones my neighbor to the north Take care, Warren. Enjoy the gorgeous day. I hope you're getting a little bit of vitamin D. Tom, nice uh, hearing from you. And hope to see you sometime in, in the not terribly distant future. Although I don't know when. I am getting down south. And with that, I'm going to say have an awesome rest of your weekend. Get flat, stay flat, and have fun.